now and, and sit down and, and uh, say what's up to the person next to you without talking? Okay. Anybody excited like to, to get the word today? Are we excited? This is this is this is exciting. This is exciting. Amen. A while since I used one of these. Oh, that's whack. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Amen, amen. Amen. Let me just get this out the way. I had a. I had one of the teenagers send me this this week. Check this out. Check this out. Check this out. Listen, 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 listen. Everybody good? We're good. We're good. You hear me good? All right. My sins, he forgave that. My life, he saved that. My future, he holds that. Oh! But I'm not a rapper. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your word. We ask you right now, God, that you would prepare the speaker and the listener, Lord God, that your word would change us, that it would fall on good ground today, Lord God, that you would prepare us to hear what we need to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. The last couple of weeks, listen, we've been talking about miracles and, and you know, Alice like preached my whole message this morning. Praise God. So I'm just going to pray. Everybody could go home. But we've been talking about miracles and signs and wonders that were recorded in the scriptures for us to read, right? And, and we talked about a few of them last week, and we were talking about the greatest miracle of all, the, the resurrection, amen? There's no other miracle that matters more than that, and we wouldn't be talking about any other miracle from the scriptures if that miracle didn't happen. You, you understand? Like, we wouldn't be here thousands of years later... Speaking of the miracles that happened in the word, if the resurrection wasn't the one miracle, that's the miracle that transformed the disciples of Jesus. And they, they had seen so many other miracles. I know we talked about this last week. And they, they followed him. They, they were after him. But they weren't changed by all the other miracles. It wasn't until the resurrection that they were, that they, you know, even after seeing all this supernatural power, they still didn't get it fully. It wasn't until after Jesus rose from the dead as he said he would. It wasn't until after he, it wasn't until after he conquered death, after he appeared to them that they were changed. And that's when they became these true followers, right? And as we read last week, when Jesus appeared to them, Thomas wasn't with them in the room. And so they went and they told Thomas. And Thomas came back and told them, listen, man, I have to see it to believe it. Any, anybody there this morning? I have to see it to believe it. Right? And, and he said, listen, I, I know that Jesus said it was going to happen. I know. I trust you. You guys are my boys. We've been three years together walking. And, and I believe that you, whatever. But unless I see it, I, I have to see it to believe it. There's something so powerful about an eyewitness. Right? How many of you like addicted to the, those law shows? Law and order. And I mean, all, you know, all the shows. And, and, you know, they get you in the first two minutes and now you got to watch the whole show. Right? If, you, if you don't change the channel quick enough, now you're stuck. You've got to watch the whole show again, right? And, and, but, but you know, in any of those law shows and, and even movies involving where there was a case involved, the eyewitness is the most powerful person in the case, right? With an eyewitness, you have a good case. That's why the bad guys in the shows and even in real life, they always want to get rid of the eyewitness, right? If you can bury the eyewitness, then you got no case against me. If nobody was there that saw it, then there's no case against me. It doesn't matter what the evidence says. Oh, come on. That just, that just got good to me right there. An eyewitness is somebody who saw the thing with their own eyes. They experienced it for themselves. The, the text that we've been working off of is John 20, 30. I just want to give it to you again. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book, but these are written so that you may believe. 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have eternal life. These words are written so that you may believe. See, the disciples were eyewitnesses. These signs were done in their presence. And, and, and we, we know that, you know, what you've seen, what you've experienced, nobody can take from you. How many can, can agree? Amen? You can choose to ignore it. You can choose to forget it. Come on, there's some people been in church for a long time and then something happens. And then they choose to forget everything they've already experienced. And they choose, and, and you, you, you meet people like this, and you tell them, man, and they'll tell you, man, I, was, I sung on the worship team for 15 years, right? And you're like, but, but, how, but how, how can you be where you are now if you sung on a worship team? If you led worship for 15 years, how can you be, because you chose, you, you, you know you sing too much, but you, we can choose to forget it. We can choose to ignore it. We can, but what you've seen and what you've experienced is with you forever. These disciples, after experiencing what they experienced and seeing what they saw, they were ultimately changed. And they went on to start what we know of today as the church. Right? Book of Acts. They started the church and they lived out the rest of their days telling people of everything they had seen and experienced. They were willing to lay down their lives so that you, me, so that we can believe. That's how you know something was true. Because nobody, people would die for what they believe in, but nobody would die for a lie. Right? And so they lived in that time. They walked with Jesus. If Jesus was a lie, no, they, come on. You know, we'd only take things so far. You'd only cover for your friends so far. Amen? But when it comes to, yeah, I'm going to lay down my life for the lie to cover my friend's lie. No, that's no. We're going to draw a line. Right? They were willing to lay down their lives so that we can believe. From that point on, they lived to tell the story of a God who created us, a God who loves us, a God who accepts us at our very worst and who gave his very best. Somebody say amen. Listen, if you're struggling today, you've been going through it lately, I want to share something with you today that has the power and the ability to empower and encourage and bring change to your situation. I believe that. Do you want it? Like, I'm serious. I'm, this is not hype. I'm serious. If you're struggling today, if you've been going through, I, I believe I have a secret. I have the secret to overcoming. If I found the secret to overcoming in the word, would you want to hear it today? And guess what? You don't have to sow a $1,000 seed. You don't have to buy my book. You don't have to pay six easy payments of only $29.99. The secret to overcoming is free 99 It's free. All you have to do is skip to the end of the book. Come on, come on, where my high school delinquents at? You know, how many, don't raise your hand, you're not a delinquent. That's just a joke. The, what I meant by that is, is how many of you are not book readers, and so you lived on cliff notes and monarch notes and, and whatever it was in your time, right? You had to read a book, so what do you do? You start it so you know what it is, and then you skip to the end to find out how it ends. Anybody like that? Guess what? God knows that, I think. And so he put the secret to overcoming at the end of the book. Are you ready? See, all throughout the word, God says we're overcomers. 1 John 5, 4, it says, For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. Oh, come on, get excited. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 1 John 5, 5, who is it that overcomes the world except those, the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Romans 12, 1, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 Corinthians 15, but thanks be to God who gives us victory. Romans 8, 37, in all these things we are what? More than conquerors. But how do we overcome? All those scriptures tell us that we overcome. All those scriptures tell us that we have the victory. But none of them tell us how. You ready to know how? The secret to overcoming is at the end of the book. It's on Revelations 12, 11. Oh, write it down. 
Take notes. Even if you don't take notes, put it in a little note in your iPad, in your iPhone. Don't you'll text it, tweet it. You can do all that. Instagram it. And they overcame him. We're talking about the enemy. This is the end time. This is the end of the book. This is the end of the world. He's talking about our battle and our struggle with the enemy, with sin, with the world, with everything that's against us. It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. The NIV says they triumphed over him. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testament. The New American says they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of... The message says they defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and the bold word of their testimony. Now, I want to help you understand some imagery right now because I know... I've been thinking about this lately and there's a lot of... We got a lot of new people in church, amen? And that's a good thing. And, and what I love about that is that a lot of the new people that we have in this church are not from other churches. That's never the goal. We don't want to take people from other churches. If people are in a good church, if your family's in a good church, leave them in their church. That's good. They belong there. That's where God put them there. Amen? Unless they're teaching heresies, then tell them to get the heck out of there. Quick. Right? But, but, but what the, the, the new people that we're seeing, there's a possibility that they've never been churched. And, and that's a good thing. But here's the scary part. They come in here, and I, I, I put myself in your shoes sometimes, and I say, like, if I was brand new and I'd never been to church, and I'd never been taught, I'd never been to Sunday school, I never had any thought, and if I came and sat down in our church service, how would I feel about the things that people say? And then I thought about all the churchy words. And I try to tell my team all the time, don't use churchy words. Don't use Christianese. Don't use that logo, that language, because it's, people don't understand that. And I thought, like, if I was brand new, never been to church, my cousin invited me, my friend invited me, I sit down, I'm in the middle of, like, a 10-row aisle, so I'm stuck right in the middle, I can't move. Right, right? And then, and then... And then the pastor or, or pastor even starts singing about the blood that washes over us. No, we, we can get excited about that, but how about you, you have no church background? Did you th ever think about that for a minute? I read the scripture. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the blood. Everybody's like, yeah, the blood. I would sit there freaking out saying, these are vampires. How? How am I going to, they're going to kill me. How am I going to get out of here? Did you ever think about that? We use all this church talk that people don't understand. And so, is it okay if I teach just for a couple moments? Can I just teach this for, uh, just, just two, two, give me two or three minutes. I just, I just want to teach about this. See, before Jesus, in the Old Testament, God's people had a system of sacrifice for the atonement of sins. The atonement is the forgiveness of sins, Right? Another, you know, fancy word. But so where do we get that picture from? Well, well, let me, let me kind of give you the imagery real quick. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, when, when God put them in the garden, he said, listen, everything is for you. I've created everything you want. I've created everything you could ever need so that you could have a great life. And then he told them, eat and have sex. I mean, God's a good God. Amen. I'm serious. That's what your word says. I didn't make that up. Check it. Genesis. He said, be fruitful and multiply. So, what, I mean, he put two naked people together, gave them all the right equipment. Come on. Some of you are embarrassed because you think sex is dirty. Sex is God's gift. All the kids gone? A little too excited. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> So, all right, all right, come on, focus, we're teaching here. So, so, so God says, but God says, listen, the second you step out of my plan, when you step out of, from under my covering, that day you'll surely die. That day you will surely die. And, and it wasn't like God is a, that wasn't a threat. God is saying, stay in the provision that I have for you and everything will be great. But when you step out of what I have and what I created for you, when you're disobedient, when you walk away, when you choose your own way, that day you will surely die. And so we know what happens, right? They, they went to the mango tree that they weren't supposed to eat. They took down the mango. They ate it. And, 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 and it says their eyes were opened and they felt naked and ashamed. So sin not only brings shame, but it brings death. 
Okay, so, so what God did was when he saw them hiding and ashamed, he provided clothes for them. The word says out of leather. Where do we get leather from? I'm sorry, those of you that are PETA and all that. We get leather from animals, right? So, so God made clothes out of leather for him. So, so that, that tells us two things. Number one, sin brings death. And number two, God doesn't want us to walk around with shame. Isn't that beautiful? We have this idea that God is this mean ogre that wants to punish you. God doesn't want to punish you. He wants to provide a covering for you. Oh, come on. Receive that this morning. God doesn't want to punish you. He wants to put a covering over you. Sin brings death. Something had to die so that we could have a covering so that we could come before God. You, you see the imagery. Fast forward. One day a year, the Jewish people, God's people that he set in motion and set things in order and, and was using to bring all of this to us so that we can see. And uh, one day a year, the Jewish people celebrate a day of atonement, Yom Kippur. You guys know, right? Because you get that holiday off, some of you, right? We're like, yes. <laughs> Kippur, it, it comes from the word Kippur, which means to cover. So it's a day of atonement. It's a day to have your sins covered. And like your nastiest bosses at your job, that day they're home atoning for their sins. They have one day where they can have their sins covered. And that's still practiced today, right? But without the sacrifice because but they, they substitute and they say, well, we sacrifice our jobs. We sacrifice eating. We sacrifice working. And so they kind of, you know, make it work that way. But that's not what the law says. But anyway, that comes from the law. It was the Old Testament. It's a picture of the Old Testament. On the day of atonement, this is what happens. The high priest comes and he takes two spotless goats. Two goats. Say two goats. He takes two spot. They have to be perfect. They have to be spotless without blemish. They have to be perfect. He takes two of them. And now before he goes in, the high priest goes into the, to the temple, to the Holy of Holies to atone for our sins. Before he does that, he has to atone for his own sins because the high priest is only a man, right? He's just a man. So he's still having lustful thoughts. He's still thinking. He's still doing bad things. He's still having whatever, right? He's a man. So he, the first goat, he has to, the first goat gets sacrificed to cover his sins. Okay, so the blood of the first goat gets sacrificed so that the, so that the high priest, his sins are covered for the year so that he can enter into the holy of holies and atone for our sins now the second goat he lays hands on the second goat and he prays and what's done symbolically is he puts all the sins of us our sins for the year he puts them on the head of that goat and then they release the goat and so all of your sins are removed through the goat because they're on him and the goat leaves right and so so the first goat is sacrificed for the deaf, and the blood serves as a covering for the sins of the high priest. The second goat would, would pray, and, and, and this, that, that, that's where we get the word scapegoat from. It came from the earliest uh, uh, American translations of the word. You know what a scapegoat? The scapegoat is like a fall guy. The scapegoat takes the blame for, all, for everybody, right? So this second goat was the scapegoat. He's punished for the, for the errors of everybody else. So the sins of the people were removed. They were put away. They, they weren't eliminated. They weren't gone. But they, were, they do this and still practice this today. They do it every year, once a year. So what did Jesus do? Jesus in the New Testament now, he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Jesus became our high priest. So he's the high priest that goes in before God to atone for our sins. Look, look at the pictures. But because Jesus is perfect, he's spotless, he doesn't need to have be atoned for his sins. He goes right into the Holy of Holies because he is the Holy of Holies. And he becomes the perfect sacrifice. And that's why church people call him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you see the imagery there? He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He didn't just go away. He, the, 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 he laid down his life. His blood was our sacrifice. And so that's why Christian people get so excited about the blood. It's not that we're vampires. Relax. I hope that explains a little bit of the Christian jargon that you, that you hear. 
See, it's a clear picture about how God feels about our sin and God about how God feels about us. God is so serious with sin that, that there had to be a sacrifice, a covering before we can come to him. And God is so in love and loves us so much that he gave the perfect covering. Isn't that amazing? It's like me telling you, you have to have a million dollars to be my friend, to live in my house, to be my family, and then I give you a million dollars. That's the beauty of, of, of coming to Jesus. Jesus was our scapegoat. He, he took the fall so that we can overcome. Listen, I don't know what you came here with today, but that's a good word. Your sins were not just set aside. They weren't just put aside temporarily. To our fathers and a Hail Mary does not separate you from your sin. Do you, do you understand? I don't mean to offend anybody, but that's offensive. Because if two our fathers and a Hail Mary could, could clean me of my sins, Jesus wouldn't have to be the Lamb of God who takes away the, the sins of the world. Amen? They were paid for so that you can overcome. So the secret to overcoming, first and foremost, is the blood of the Lamb. Without that, we have no covering. We can't come before God. But the other thing that verse said, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by what? The bold word of our testimony. The word of our testimony is simply our eyewitness account of what we've seen for ourselves. If we're going to be overcomers, we got to learn how to tell our story. Kayla, come tell your story. That you may believe. You see, my life is a story for all to see, for all those trying to believe. It all began when my mother was pregnant with me, already a young mother of two, struggling, barely making ends meet. How could she afford another mouth to feed? Plagued with thoughts and an important decision at hand, they advised her to abort, but they couldn't see that God already had a plan. Mommy, don't do it, was the cry she was awakened by her four-year-old son one night, followed by an incoming call from a friend who assured her God's plan was not done. She prophesied, saying things like, you're pregnant with a little girl, a girl with an important purpose in this world. Fast forward to that night in happy land, fire broke out, killing many. My mother was on her way, pregnant with me, but my grandma's heart was heavy. She fought and fought so she wouldn't go. Saved from, that, saved from that fire, now I know that even on that night, God saved my soul. Fast forward again, age 14, diagnosed with a rare disease. I cried out, Lord, could you heal me, please? Paralyzed, blurry eyes, my muscles grew numb. Gillian Beret affecting my lungs. Doctors said it would only get worse, but I only knew that I could not put my trust in the words of a nurse. I had to stand on the promises of the one who became my cure, died, crucified, to break every curse. Doctors were shocked by my recovery. All I could do was stand back and thank God for loving me. From a broken home to different homes, feeling disowned, there's no way I could have made it alone. From the empty bottles and living obscene to the illness that gripped my body at 14. Miracle after miracle, I can write so many more. But I pray that these few will touch your very core. That you may believe that our God is more than a character in a story. He is the author of life, the illustrator of creation deserving all glory. May we never take for granted the countless miracles, big and small, but instead acknowledge and give him praise for them all. The opening of our eyes, the sunset, the sunrise, the air we breathe, the wind, the breeze, the grass, the trees, the ability to love. May we treasure every smile and every hug, for there are miracles in everything, a gift from above, no fairy tales. Can I tell you something about this young lady? If you could read between the rhymes today, you'd understand she has 15 more excuses than any three of you put together for not being here standing in faith. 
I get blown away by her because I know that if I had gone through half the stuff that she's gone through, I would not be here. I don't know how she can stand in faith and understand something. She, it, I don't bring her up here because she has it all figured out and she's all together. And she's better than anybody else. No, she falls, but she gets back up. Amen. And she's learned how to tell her story and she's learning in the process that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen. And she came today that you may believe. Veronica, come tell your story. After trying for two years, in 2007, we decided to go see a doctor and to see what was going on. They did find out that there was something wrong with both of us, but the doctor said it was nothing to worry about. So we both went through tests, and so far, we knew everything was okay, so we didn't worry. So we started the process until we found out the first one failed. The doctor told us it takes few times before it happens, so we tried again, and we didn't worry. After the third attempt, <laughs> I started questioning God. I didn't understand why, because I was believing with all my heart but nothing was happening. So we both went back for more tests. And they took a deeper look, and there was something wrong. So I need to say, we were going to be able to not have children. He finally told us that it was time to take the next step, which was IVF treatments. So we, you know, we thought and we thought, and after IVF, if that didn't work, we would have to look into surrogate, which will be someone carrying our baby. But he said, one step at a time. So I was like, oh boy. So the doctor told us as we did all of this, not to worry, that everything was gonna be okay. That I was young and I was a good candidate. So we said, okay, let's do the IVF treatment. But as he told us all of this, he forgot to tell us that the most important thing was that this treatment was going to cost $10,000. And most insurances don't, don't cover it. So I didn't worry. Before leaving his office, I remember telling him, Jesus will provide. And he looked at me, he smiled, and he gave me the okay. We went home and we did our research, and sure enough, it's true. It is $10,000, and we didn't have that. I remember praying and saying to God, if this is your will, I pray. You opened the door, and he sure did. Our insurance covered. <laughs> However, it did not cover the medicines which was between five to $600. At the time I wasn't working and my husband was the only income. Thank you. I didn't worry. So through all of this, I remember talking to Stacy and her telling me if all else fails, I will carry for you. I couldn't believe that she would do it. I believe she loved me enough to know that we wanted to be parents. And she will go out of her way to do it. I went through pain. My emotions were crazy. My body went through a lot to get ready to carry. A lot of rest. And overall, I was so happy. I really, truly believed God was going to give us a baby. 
I mean, he put the doctors there for a reason, right? And so I thought. As all of this is going on, I remember asking God for strength because it was a lot to endure. People were praying and believing. I've gotten word after word for, so, for a whole year through this. By 2009, everything was set. The embryos were ready and they were implanted. August came around my birthday time and I went to get my results. And I knew that I knew I was pregnant. They usually don't leave messages, but I requested one because I was gathering my family, our families to come. It was a Saturday, it was beautiful outside, sunny, and I just knew, I felt it. I saw they left me a message and I was dying to hear it, but I waited. So we gathered everyone and everyone was smiling and laughing. And Louis was like, okay, babe, press play. And the message went on to say, hi, this message is for Veronica. And she tried to whisper it, but it came out so clear. How do I tell her this on a voicemail? Her coworkers told her she requested it, we must do. So it goes again and saying, I'm sorry to leave you this message in this way but you're not pregnant. The room went silent. I cried a little bit. <laughs> I threw all my medicine out because this is how I react. I just, that's how I am. Everyone went home and I cried and I was angry. I remember going to the basement with Louie, and all I did was cry, but it wasn't just a normal cry. It was a cry from the belly. I was broken, and I didn't understand why. Questions running through my head, and I think out why. That Monday, I get a phone call from my doctor asking me how I'm doing. I said, I'm hanging in there. He went on to say, wow, I don't understand what went wrong. You're healthy, you're young, you're a great candidate. I don't understand. He was like, I'll have to go back with my doctors and review this file because I still don't get it. So he asked me, what did I want to do? I said, I don't know. He goes, well, I just want to let you know. You could keep trying, but I can't guarantee you will ever, ever come up pregnant. And he was like, well, just call me and let me know what you decide. I've never called back. <laughs> I ended up hitting rock bottom by October and November, but I remember praying with Louis one more prayer. And in this prayer, I remember telling God that if we weren't meant to be parents, I prayed that he eased the pain because it was too much to bear. New Year came, 2010. February comes around, and for a strange reason, I felt to take a pregnancy test. As always, I knew it was going to be negative, but I took it anyway. Already I saw it, and it had one line, so I threw it away, and I got ready for work. I called Louie, and I told him. He was like, don't worry, and I said, I'm not. But as soon as I hung up, something told me, look again. I thought I was hearing things and losing my mind, but I heard it loud, look again. So I went to the bathroom, and I reached down. And I looked at it, and it had two lines. I couldn't believe my eyes. I was pregnant. I called Louis as fast as I could, and he was shocked. I took two more pregnancies to believe it. <laughs> and I went to the doctor, and I remember the nurse telling us, don't get your hopes up because it's always negative. And Louis looked at her with that face like, how dare you? But I didn't worry. And sure enough, there was a little, I call it a dot, but I knew that was my baby. The impossible did happen. And now I have two beautiful children.
Yeah. I wasn't going to share this morning, but I was standing there and got put in my heart to share about my daughter, Sophie. So after a few years, you know, we have our son. We're talking like, man, I don't want to have, you know, my son Chunka, we call him Chunka, you know, to be alone, to be the only child. It'd be good to have a brother or sister. You know, part of me wants to have a girl, daddy's little girl. So we're talking back and forth. All right, cool. You know, we'll see what happens. You know, I don't want to be also like, you know, old, you know, old father looking like a grandfather, you know. So we're going to get it done. We're gonna do, we got to get it done soon. So, you know, so whatever. So all of a sudden, I don't know how long afterwards, she gets a, 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 a package to her mother's house from Medicaid or something, PCAP or whatever you call it, some Infamil. I was like, she never had Medicaid, she never had none of that stuff. How they got her address, sent that package, I don't know. Maybe it's a confirmation from God saying, look, you're going to have a child, you know? So it's like, all right, you know, we're talking about it. Then somebody has a dream that, you know, and they didn't know anything, you know, that we were going to have a, a, a child. I was like, all right, God, you know, well, let's, let's try. You know, what, what we got to lose? So month after month, we're trying, we're trying. Somebody else had a dream. They didn't know anything was going on and told us the same thing. So we're trying. And after a while, I got like a little tired. Like, man, month after month, again, you pregnant? No, not pregnant. Then the next month, you pregnant? No, not pregnant. After a while, it gets a little tiring. You know, you're expecting. You know, it's like, all right, it's gonna. Is it? No, no it came. You know. So we we were at one point like, should we stop? Should we go? Should we keep on? You know, trying for another baby and out. So one Friday, we left. You know, youth night. Went to a restaurant here, and we're talking about it, babe. Should we start? She was like, you know what, babe? Let's just stop. God gave us one child. That's it. We're good to go. You know. But part of me, something in my spirit was like, no, not yet. Give it like three more months. And we're talking back and forth, back and forth. And, and, and we came to agreement. Like, you know what? Let's try for three more months. If it doesn't work, then that's it. God bless us with one child and amen. Right? So next thing you know, after that conversation, a month later, right, it was June 26th. And, I, and the night before, uh, June 26th. Hold on. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. June 26th. Before we go to sleep, right, I'm like, you know what, babe? If, 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 it is, if you are pregnant, you know, I was praying, God, give me a girl. You know, I want a girl, you know, but just don't, I was like, God, seriously, I don't want her to give me boy problems, you know, so if you give me a girl, you know, I don't want no, no boy problems, so I'm holding God to that word, if he gave me a girl, I'm not going to have no boy problems, all right, so you're my witness, all right, so, so that was that night, I'm like, all right, God, you know, so the next day, you know, we're home, I took the day off, because it was an anniversary, it was like 11th anniversary or something, you know, and she goes and takes a test, and I hear, and she's in the bathroom here. <laughs> Comes out the bathroom like this, this, this laughter. And I knew it that she was pregnant, right? And we have now at that moment on June 27, I find out or we find out she's pregnant with our second child, right? And not only that, but I knew it was a girl. I knew in my heart, in my spirit, it was a girl, and it turned out to be a girl. You know, so the reason why I share it, the reason why I share this is because, yes, there may be one or two people here that are saying, you know what? Okay, that happened with her. That happened by coincidence. All right, one time. But it can't happen again. Yes, it did. My God did it twice. Why he did it? Why? So that you would believe, right? So that you would believe. So if you have, maybe somebody's going through the same thing that we went through, right? That you, you had your first child and you're trying for your second child and nothing, nothing. Just trust God. He did it for us so that you would believe. And if it's not a child, if it's an unsafe family member, if it's somebody else on drugs, if God did a miracle for you and your life years ago, last year, last week, he can do it again. If he healed you or healed somebody or some other family member, he can do it to you, to, to whoever. So if he's done it in the past, he can do it again. He's the miracle maker. Jesus is the miracle maker. So remember that. He did it so that you all would believe. So when man says something is impossible, <laughs> understand something. If God, God could have done it through in vitro. God could have done it through IVF. He could have done it through medicine. And so we're not saying, oh, medicine is evil and doctors are evil. No, God gave us all of these amazing, you know, inventions and all of these amazing um, avenues to use and to explore. And it's awesome. And we're not saying not to go that route. But sometimes I've seen. That God will let you try everything. Until, you, until you're convinced that on your own with man you can't do it. 
And then God likes to show off. Amen. So that you would believe. Can we? And we got time for one more. Can we do one more? Did we get Melissa back from? Oh, come, come tell your story. All right. My story begins. <laughs> what happened? Oh, he got the box of tissues. No, I'm good. I'm good. That's for you. <laughs> That's cute. He still can't tell this story, so every time it comes up, he asks me to tell it. You know, and it's true. Whoever said, you got the victory. But when you remember, it, it really impacts you. So my story starts in a labor and delivery room. I was having an emergency C-section after a lot, like a full day of labor. I had a two-year-old at home, and all of a sudden, the baby comes out. I don't hear him cry. I hear, he's not moving. I hear the two nurses, he's not moving at all. Give him a minute, give him a minute, and I, I, I was like right there. Oh, he's floppy. And then I hear, wait a minute, wait, okay, okay, he's moving his foot a little bit. Now you have to know I've worked in, with developmentally disabled children all my life. So what was I thinking? I didn't hear he's not moving, I said, because I had an emergency C-section. So the first thing I'm thinking is, okay, he's paralyzed because of the lack of oxygen. Oh, he has a brain bleed. And then I thought, okay, all right, it's CP. It's CP, the oxygen did it, he has cerebral palsy. So I'm thinking all these things, and then I heard, it's, he's moving a little bit. To make a long story short, he was diagnosed with something called severe hypotonia. It's something neurological that causes the muscles not to be strong. So he was a floppy baby. My, um, I was really angry when it happened because I had had my eldest one and she was premature. And it was exhausting. It was exhausting to be in the NICU. It was exhausting. I said, how am I gonna do this? A C-section, no help. My husband has to go to work. I have a two-year-old. I have a baby that can't move. How am I gonna do all the therapies again? How am I gonna do the back and forth to the emergency room? How am I gonna do this? And then I started to say, God, I don't wanna do this. I don't want this, God. You know this is the one thing that I can't handle. And I don't wanna do it. And I began to cry in my room. This was later on that night. And I just began to cry. And I began to cry. And I tell you that I was like talking. I don't know why nobody came to check on me, why a nurse didn't come in. Because for me, I was there for hours. And then I just, when I had no more words to be angry at God, I just began to sob and sob and sob. You know, and then all of a sudden, and I don't know when it happened, but this song from Jason Upton, began to rise, and I don't even know it began to rise, because the next thing I know I was singing. And the song was, I will wait for you, but there's a part of that song that says, I believe, O oh Lord, in the word that you promised, the word that you promised, I will wait for you. And as I began to sing that song, all of a sudden scripture, like fast began to come. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a bright hope in the future. I thought of like Matthew, you know, 633, um, um, ah, 633, 633, help me people. Uh, it just went, all right, look it up when you get home. Um, I began to think of Isaiah 43, when you go through the fire, I will be with you. And as I began to just cry and cry and cry, all of a sudden I said, all right, God, you gave this baby to me. So there's something that you've given me that I'm gonna, that you're gonna use to bring out the plans and the promises that you have for this little guy's life. And I said, all right, Lord. I literally looked up to them and said, I can't do this, but you can. And that day my miracle began and my miracle was accepting what God had given me. So my miracle took a long time. There were a lot of therapies. There was physical therapy, occupational therapy, all the therapists that came to my house. There were the amazing babysitters, Lisa, Sonia, and Berenice, 
who prayed over my kid. And we had to do these exercises. We would do joint compressions, extra exercises every night. So not only did dad and I do these joint compression exercises on every area of his joints, but I had babysitters who were laying hands on him and saying in the name of Jesus and doing these joint compressions with us. So I thank God for them. I thank God for a church that prayed for a miracle, that prayed for healing, that stood there and believed with me. So then when I got to get excited because there was progress, the doctor said, okay, now we just have to make sure that his brain is okay. I was like, like I wasn't even there yet. (laughs) So my miracle took a little bit of time. I spent about two years praying for healing, especially that he would walk. I didn't worry about the brain part. I mean, this kid was amazing. Even though he couldn't walk, for those of you who knew him, he would scoot on his butt. And he would like scoot faster than I could walk. You know, it was like a little rabbit hopping, hopping, hopping down the aisles. He was bright. He had the best smile in the whole world. And during this time, people prophesied to me. This one lady who never knew me, I went to some conference. She said, I don't know, but I see your baby with a stick in his hand. He's going to be like an athlete. And I'm like, she doesn't even know he can't walk. And I'm like, (laughs) so I, you know, I laughed and I received it though. I received it. Okay, he's got a stick in his hand to hockey. I'm like, how many like city kids play hockey? There's not even any ice around, but I'm like, all right, a stick in his hand. And so we kept praying. And the miracle really happened when, right before his baby dedication. Caleb still didn't walk. I waited a long time to have him dedicated because I wanted the man of God that I named him after. His name is Caleb Noel. So I wanted Noel to come. I wanted him to be there because I believe in the power of a name. And so I named him Caleb for an awesome biblical name and Noel for his name. And I want to show you how my son walked into his baby dedication. I don't know, do we have that picture up? So there was Caleb. He didn't walk in like I expected him to. He didn't bounce in, but he was so happy. I can't tell you how this kid, because it was we had just gotten it, and he was going to his baby dedication, and he was so happy. He was so happy. Well, about a week after, I'm just to throw this away. About a week after we went into that baby dedication. Now you have to understand, every time a minister came to our church for healing, I would bring him up and I would bring him up and people would say, you have to stop doing that. You have to believe that God is going to heal your child. And I did believe. Remember when I had said, okay, God, if you can do this, I said, I know that the purposes and plans may be, will be fulfilled, whether it's in a wheelchair, whether it's in a walker, those plans, nothing is going to stop you. But I just needed God to tell me because sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says wait. So I wanted God to tell me that it was going to be okay. And I'll never forget this. I was singing on a worship team, right? It was about a week after his baby dedication. And the reason you probably don't remember the walker is because he didn't need it very long after the baby dedication. But I was, there, there was a minister there for healing and I was singing on the worship team. So I couldn't step down. And so I said, all right. So I just, I said, God, he doesn't need to be here for you to heal him, right? So I said, all right. So I closed my eyes and I kept singing. When I opened my eyes, there was Pastor George. And he was holding my baby. And he had one hand lifted and he was at the altar with him. You know, if we had photography ministry back then, that was a shot. (laughs) I looked up and it was beautiful. It's forever etched in my brain. And I closed my eyes again, just smiling at God's faithfulness, knowing that I wanted to bring my baby, but I couldn't bring him. And all of a sudden, I looked up again. And this time, there were two other men from the church, and they had surrounded him. And they all laid hands on him, and the other hand in the air, and those hands just surrounded him. And in that moment, when I looked up, I did not see those three men. What I saw was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in that moment... God said, he's healed. Within the week following that service, when God told me, Caleb took his first steps. I don't know where he went. I thought he was there. He took his first steps during a therapy session towards me. I caught him. He's an amazing kid. He plays baseball, so I guess that's the stick in his hand. (laughs) He runs. 
He is charming. That very song that I sang in the hospital room was the very first song that he sang here in a children's and ministry day. I will wait for you. He loves God. He likes to talk and make raps and do all sorts of things. You know, I wish I could tell you that the same neurological problems that affected his walking doesn't sometimes pose challenges today. And it does in different ways. But someday that's going to be his miracle to talk about. So I'm grateful because God did answer. And I have seen too many miracles and experienced in my life enough that I can't not believe in the miracles of God. And just like Margie, I always believe in the all of a sudden. And I hold on to that. God bless you. Worship team, you guys can come up. See, we overcome. We get through. We encourage ourselves. We believe again. We empower others when we think about what God has done in our lives. Sometimes we can get discouraged and all we have to do is remember the word of the testimony. I believe God is saying that to some of you today. Remember the word of your testimony. Remember what God has done in your life in the past. Your testimony is your transformation. Somebody got to receive that today. Your testimony is your transformation. So my challenge to you this week, church, I'm done. My challenge to you this week, take some time and write out your story. Would you do that? Take some time and think, because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget the first time you had an encounter with God, the first time that God showed up in your life. It's so easy to, to just move on. And, and sometimes we can be in the struggle and in the struggle and in the struggle and in the struggle. And we don't, and we have to take a moment to stop and we say, but, but I remember when you, and now, you have more than just Bible stories. Today, we've given you stories of eyewitnesses that you may believe. You all have a story to tell, and I believe God is calling us to learn how to tell your story. Matthew 5.14 says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand so that it can give light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. And if you could put that John 20, 30 back up there, Ramonda. The scripture that we started, the text kind of for this entire part of the series. Can we just apply that scripture to us, to what you've heard today? Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written. These have been told today so that you may believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have eternal life. Amen.